Welcome to the Red Diamond Report podcast. I'm your host, Wilton Jackson. And today we have a very exciting episode for you. I had the chance to sit down with Jason Gibson, a man of many talents. A Jackson, Mississippi native, Jason is a history professor, a minister, a creator of community, an entrepreneur, a doctoral student, all while still having time to spend time with his family and tell you why his top five NBA players in a pickup basketball game are quite interesting. Sit back and get ready to listen as he discusses the importance of following your purpose, exploring traditional versus non-traditional routes, how basketball prepared him for adversity, why black fathers matter now more than ever, and more. This is the Red Diamond Report podcast entitled Taking the Risk in Your Purpose. Let's get it. Welcome to the Red Diamond Report podcast with your host, Wilton Jackson. And today we have a really special guest uh, by the name of Jason Gibson. It's good to have you on the show, man. Man, it's good to be here, man. I know I know, we've been tussling to and fro, trying to um, nail down the time that we could beat, man. But I, I appreciate you for inviting me to be here. Absolutely. So, Jason, before we get started, uh, tell, you know, the listeners, you know, a little bit about a little bit about you and who you are and what you do. Um, so once again, um, Jason Gibson, born and raised in Jackson, Mississippi. Um, I want to start from elementary. I start from high school, graduated from Callaway High School, basketball scholarship to Holmes Community College. Uh, finished my four year at Jackson State University, master's at Jackson State. Now I'm in my doctoral program at the University of Southern Mississippi. Um, professor, department chair and professor of history at uh, Tougaloo College and um, minister of music. Uh, what else I do, man? I, yeah, I think consultant, speaker. Yeah, that's it, man. We'll talk more about it as we <laughs> as we go. Jason, I have to ask you this first. What keeps you grounded in your purpose with all of the things that you just listed? Um, man, I would have to say it's, it's the literal fear. And just based off my faith, I know God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of love, peace, and a sound mind. But fear is natural to our natural. It's, it's natural to our reality. So um, I would say what keeps me grounded is the literal fear of being average, uh, the, the fear of being mediocre, uh, the fear of not dying empty. And what I mean by that, that is my literal goal. I want to die empty, having given of everything that I have to offer uh, to this world. So I think that's what keeps me grounded, man, just just not wanting to die, having not contributed something, one of, if not uh, a few of my faculties that God has kind of granted me. And in, in saying that, do you ever have those moments where, you know, like because you listed up, like I said, a bunch of things like an entrepreneur, a motivational speaker, uh, your regular daytime jobs and everything else that you have going on. Like, is there ever a moment where you just like, you know what, Jason is tired, like Jason is wore out. Jason is being everything for everybody else. What does Jason do in those moments? Most definitely uh, all the time, man. Uh, <laughs> I think. And I think here lately, um, I've I've become a whole lot better at kind of stewarding that space. Um, so now, as opposed to I'm 31 now, I would say in my mid late 20s, um, I would get there, but I wouldn't properly address it. Uh, the only thing I knew was, you know, keep going. But I can honestly say, man, like when I hit 30, like everything changed. I get six, seven hours of sleep a night now. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm making sure that I'm I'm prioritizing self-care 
um, days throughout the months. Um, I'm making sure that I'm taking care of my body, that I'm eating right, um, and, and just making sure I'm not falling victim or becoming overly consumed by my routine. Before you become the man that you become now and still becoming, uh, obviously you mentioned that you went to high school at Callaway. You played, played at Callaway under Coach Britt. Uh, how did sports uh, help in your upbringing into the person that you've become? Man, sports was literally the absolute best teacher that I had in life. Um, I advocate for all parents who have young children, put them in something where they have to compete. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I attribute um, outside of like attributing my success to, to God first and family. Um, I attribute it to sports and my experiences there. What when you when you when you talk about that experience specifically more so at Callaway, what 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 would you say were some of the biggest lessons that you that you took from it? I think the biggest lessons. Okay, I have a few lessons. Then I'll say the biggest lesson. Um, okay. A few lessons that I learned with the general, you know, hard work, dedication, teamwork, uh, collaborative efforts. Um, you know, working adopting a role or or committing to a role like i learned all those things but man believe it or not i think at callaway the greatest lesson i learned and in sports from a totality standpoint was it taught me how to fail um and mm -hmm. I, I know a lot of people would say you know failure is not an option but sometimes i think that failure is the best option and it's absolutely necessary for us to capitalize on the experiences that we garner over a lifetime so I think the greatest lesson that I learned at Callaway was to fail, which was my 10th grade year, which was when we when we lost the game right before getting into the big house. And it's like we had a young team um, and, you know, that failure hurt in the moment, but it, it produced like a fire and a hunger in us where we said we don't want to feel this again. So we went through our wits end to ensure that that didn't happen, winning the championship the next two years. So, yeah, man, it taught me how to fail. That's the greatest lesson that I learned and how to fail well. And we're going to dive into that a little bit more towards the end of the episode because I have some very specific questions of, of you on that team, some teammates, all of that. Uh, disclaimer, also from Jackson, and I've seen quite a few good basketball players in this school district and teams. And obviously we know Coach Wayne Brent, shout out to him, a legend. Oh, yeah. uh, outstanding coach uh from 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 top to bottom when did you know because you're busy doing different things when did you know when was that moment like that light bulb moment for you when you knew that you wouldn't follow a traditional path when i knew i wouldn't follow a traditional path i thought the question was going somewhere else um oh man let me think let me think let me think I think I knew I wasn't going to follow a traditional path um, in my first job, my first job and my second job. So my first job out of undergrad, I was teaching seventh grade social studies at Blackburn Middle School. I only stayed there for a semester. I love to teach, but I knew that one semester that K-12 was not for me. Um, but that next job at Jackson State, man, I don't know what it was, but that first job, I was only making $24,000 a year, $24,000 a year. And it was like, it was like an epiphany almost. Like, I know that there's more to life 
then 24, my check was exactly out to tax at $729 every two weeks. And I was like, that's equivalent to like 1400 1500 a month. Like right. I, I said, you know, at that moment, I was like, man, it's got to be more to life than this. And Jason, like you have too much in you. Like God thought too much of you to invest what he's invested in you for you to subject yourself or for you to find contentment in just being an eight to five worker. So, you know, I was there. And man, when I got that epiphany, it was like within a year and a half of me being there. So I gave myself a timeline. I said, I'm going to save this amount of money, uh, which I don't mind sharing. At that time, it was $10,000. I said, I'm going to save $10,000. Now, I got my refund from my grad program, too. So I, I it wasn't just saving $10,000 on $1,500 a month. So yeah. I said, I'm going to save this amount of money. When I get this amount of money, I'm going to quit. I'm going to just quit. And that's what I did um, in December of... 2017, I just I just put in two week notice. I said I won't be returning next year. Didn't know what I was gonna do. Didn't know how it was going to unfold. But right. that was the moment where it was like the light bulb was like, hey, it's more to life. And if you don't take a risk now, you'll live your life regretting having not taken that risk now. And that was when I was 24, three, mm-hmm. three or four. Yep. And making those pivots were there because a lot of times and your story is somewhat very similar to mine, having to, you know, make those pivots, knowing when to take a jump, take a leap. Uh, Were there people that were in your corner that kind of navigated you to say, okay, well, Jason, if you're going to make this jump, you know, know that you're making it. But also, like you said, there's a risk that comes with that. Who were some of those people that kind of guided you on your path so that you didn't fall off, if that makes any sense? Yeah, well, first and foremost, my mom. My mom has always been the person that supported me no matter how stupid what I was talking about sounded. She always had such a belief in me that said, I believe in the purpose on Jason's life so much so that even when what he's communicating to me doesn't make sense, I'll still support him in it. Um, Now, my dad was a whole lot more traditional. Like, in the beginning... He was not for me leaving my job at all. And he expressed how much he wasn't because he was very traditional. Get a job, work your way up, get you some good retirement, stay there for 25 years. And and that's the the safety net that you need to ensure that you are successful in life. Um, So it came with a lot of backlash from him. But my mom was that person that was just like, hey, I support you. you Absolutely. I would have to say her. And uh, just close friends, just just close friends who had the same kind of sentiment that my mom had. You know, they saw my work ethic. They saw my determination behind certain matters. And they were just like, you know, whatever you do, I'll support you in it because I think it'll be successful just by virtue of the level of effort you put into the things that you want to see transpire. But you took a big risk when you helped out with or started the uh, gym that you started. Yeah. Talk, talk to me a little bit about that. Um, so when I left Jackson State in December of 2017, in January of 2018, um, I started working with uh, my line brother and who would eventually become my business partner, Jarius Moore. He was already training in the space under a um, under uh, an already existing gym. And um, basically, I just went to start working out. I had a lot of free time on my hands. I said, man, I'm going to start back working out. 
So it started off with me going and working out with him. And I don't know what happened. Like within that first month, one day he was just like, hey, bro, you want to run the class? And I was like, man, I ain't never did that fitness. <laughs> but, but I was an educator. I am an educator. So it's like I know how to teach concepts. I know how to set benchmarks. And, you know, I know how to instruct and orchestrate things. Uh, and I had just been sitting in on so many of his classes. So one day he just kind of threw me in the fire. I was like, hey, bro, run this class. And, man, when I say, like, the feedback was phenomenal. Like, the clients loved me. It was like, when is this, when is this guy coming back? Um, and it wasn't necessarily because I had such an expertise in fitness, but I had a lot of expertise in customer service. Like, I just knew how to treat people. I knew how to honor people. And I think that was just reflected through the fitness aspect. So that was how that started, man. Man, I did that one class. Some stuff transpired but with who he was training for or under, and an opportunity presented itself for us to open the gym. We hit up JJ and then brought him in, and that's how Explicit came about. With the fitness aspect, how does that, because you, you, you pride into that, how does that allow you to basically be able to do the other things that you're doing? How important is it? Oh, man. Well, well, basically, you said it, man. Like, the older we get, the more our physical health uh, plays a role in everything that we do. So, man, it's literally to the point where working out and staying physically fit is so a part of who I am. Like, my mornings will be horrific if I don't. Like, if I don't work out, my mornings are usually sluggish, slow. They're thrown off. Um, so it's gotten so a part of who I am that everything else can literally not function unless I initiate my morning with devotion, prayer, workout. So, man, it's just all a part of the routine. What would you say are some of the, the more rewarding parts in, in being able to follow your purpose in the way that you do? The more rewarding parts? Right. And helping people. Helping people. Like, if your purpose doesn't help people, it's not a purpose. It's, a, it's, a, it's just a hobby. Like, so um, I would absolutely say helping people, man. I, I get no, I get no greater gratification than to see something, a vision that I prayed on, that I got revelation on, and I actually implemented and executed and see up to see others gravitate to that and their lives become better as a result of it. Like, that's the most gratification I get, like, uh, I mean, yet it's still above anything. I just yesterday I was on Instagram and a friend of mine who um just got her doctorate degree. Um, I don't know, is this a mutual friend? I don't know if both of us know her. I, I won't say her name, but she just got her doctorate degree. She did her photo mm -hmm. shoot, you know, with her um doctorate stove, a hat, but she okay. had a plan execute shirt on, which is uh -huh. my brand. And this right. is a shirt, dude, that I sold like four years ago. <laughs> this had been on my line and she said in her caption she was like three steps to how i got to where i am i prayed i planned and i executed right. when you see stuff like that things that you, <laughs> you yep. see, like people are actually implementing it into their everyday lives and it's working for them this girl has a doctor now right. like i met beyond any amount of money beyond any tangible thing that somebody can give to me that's all I want to know that I'm helping somebody by being obedient in my purpose. If you could give one piece of advice 
to yourself, knowing what you know about life, what would it, what would it be and why? If I give one piece of advice to my now self, yes. like some advice to me now or like advice to my younger self? Some advice that you would give yourself now. I think, and this is so cliche, um, but that whole idea of, of wrong one built in the day, it's a marathon, not, to, not a sprint. Um, processes, process is not a bad word. Process is literally one of the most helpful and beneficial things that you will ever have to uh, go through as it pertains to anything. Um, so, you know, that, that's kind of the advice I would give to myself, man. Don't, don't get weary because things are not coming to fruition when you expect them to, or when you gave yourself a deadline. Um, you know, just kind of, if you are sure and, and content in like, this is where I'm supposed to be. This is what I'm supposed to be doing. Like just kind of pitch a tent there, like pitch your tent there and trust that, you know, it's going to come into fruition exactly when it's supposed to and not necessarily when you would like it to. Now, I know that you're heavy in your ministry, and I feel like this was a good segue in what we're talking about right now. Uh, yeah. You talk about things not happening right on time. I know, like I said, with everything that you do, you've had those moments where something did not happen right when you needed to. How did you lean into God to kind of help guide you through that process? Oh, man. Like, I, I mean, I've been there. I'm probably there monthly, like where things don't happen when I want them to or when I plan for them to or when I set this goal for this to happen. Um, and I think, man, my 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 faith is just in such a place now where, man, when I say it literally takes hell and hot water to rattle me like I don't I'm so. I've gotten to a place where I, I don't become consumed by the things that I feel like I deserve but don't get at all. Um, and to answer your question, how do I kind of lean into God for that? Like, it's just through my daily routine, like making sure that I initiate every day in devotion, in prayer, asking for guidance. Like, um, it's just that, that lean in is just me kind of like relinquishing my timelines, my own strength my own ability, my own competence to him and just trusting him enough to be like, hey, I'm going to put everything I got into this, but I'm going to trust that it's going to come into fruition exactly when it's supposed to come. So, yeah, man, I, I, I don't even get I don't even get taken by things that like think these trivial trials that we go through. I, I don't get taken by circumstances like i said it takes a whole lot to rattle me because my faith is just kind of in a place now where it's like i really do believe that all things work together for the good of them to love god and since i do it's like if it's not when i want it to happen you know i trust that whatever is happening right there is working towards wherever i'm supposed to be in the future like i said i told you we would get back to this you hooped at callaway and JPS basketball, the brand of basketball, it's still it's still good now. But I, I think that you would often say, too, just like myself, when we were younger and even when you guys were coming through, like JPS basketball, there was not one single gym that probably was not sold out between Callaway, Wingfield, Provine, Jim Hill, uh, even at some point, Murrah. It's just like you there were players everywhere 
So I want to ask you this. Who would you consider uh, the top five players that you had the privilege of guarding in JPS? Top five that I had the privilege of guarding in JPS. Some people may call me Boz, but two of them were on my team, uh, DeVille Smith and Julius Nobles. Um, the, and, and the reason I say that is because <laughs> competing against those guys every day, like just develop a, a lack of fear and fortitude in me that, you know, I, I wasn't even, I was never scared or fearful of any opponent because it's like, man, do y'all know what I'm having to go against every day in practice? Like these are two D1 talents. Like, right. so um, I would have to say Julius Nobles, DeVille Smith, um, in, you said in JPS, right? Not in Mississippi. Yeah, JPS. JPS. Let's stay with JPS. That's much, that's much Um, DeVille Smith, Julius Nobles, Dundrikis Nelson. Um, Dundrikis is a freakish athlete. Dundrikis is probably one of probably one of the best players I've ever played with and against. Um, Andre Stringer. Yep. Andre was that guy who just kind of came out of nowhere. He may not have been as athletic as the previous names, but the man was extremely skilled, had uh, an extremely high IQ for the game, how you approach the game. He was one of those guys you had to guard as soon as he stepped across half court. Before, Absolutely. Oh, no, was this Steph Curry era? Yeah, he was like Steph. the Steph of that era. Before Steph was becoming into the Steph that we know now. Yeah, man. Yeah. Um so yeah, Julius Noble was DeVille Smith, Dendrigas Nelson, Andre Stringer, and Tracy Jackson, Wingfield. Yeah. Tracy was a, a, a strong guard that played on both ends of the floor. He would guard your best guard, and then he would turn around and give you 30 on the other end. Yeah. Um, lefty, could shoot it, could his mid-range was lethal, could get to the hole. I mean, yeah, so I would have to say those were the five. Dendrigas, DeVille, Julius, Andre, Tracy. Out of those five, can you think back to a moment where you said to yourself, like, man, it doesn't matter what I do, but in this in this specific moment, whatever happened, you just kind of questioning, like, man, they they just they can't be stopped. Uh you said, was there a moment that I that in me guarding them that I said that you know they just can't be stopped? Absolutely. <laughs> Man, yes. First of all, I don't think I ever had to. Of course, you know, because I practice with Ulysses and, and the Bill every day, you know, they would have hot streaks in practice all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, now, actually, in the game, um, I would say of those, of those individuals, I don't think I ever had a – in me, Gardner. I don't think I ever had a moment where I was like, oh, they just can't be stopped. Um, and that, that wasn't just because I was a good defender. That was because these guys were so extremely gifted that there was a team defense. Like, yes, they may get by me, but they would run into a wall and help defense. Like, there was a commitment from the unit to stop these guys. So because we had such a commitment to team defense, like, I can't remember a time where any of them just got off of us. Of course, they're going to get their 20. But none of them ever got like 40, 50 on us. Um, as right. you know, I'm probably sure you know, but the game that wait, didn't Andre Stringer get 61 on Jim Hill? Hey. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
I can laugh. I can laugh about it now. I got. We 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 have a we have a mutual friend who has told me a lot about this story. Shout out to Brandon Anderson, and I remember him telling me that, you know, he was like, you know, you know, Andre dropped sixty on us, but I I gave him about thirty. You know, I mean, he he. That's one game he always remembers to this day. Brandon, oh my! And, and speaking of Brandon, he was another man. I feel like he was so underrated in that era. Yeah, he was so underrated, but he was such a solid guard. If you could give a starting five that includes yourself, so really four other players, if you could pick four other players to play with you, whether it was in a, a NBA game, a pickup game, what five would you choose and why? Now, are we talking from JPS, or I'm talking about in league right now, or we're talking about period, like from current. NBA players, old oh, school NBA players, like anybody, your 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 five that like if we were going to the park to play to, to get on a pickup game on a Saturday, what 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 five would it would, would be on the court? Oh man, so I'm definitely so first of all, I'm not in that strong five. I'm our coach. Um, <laughs> um I would say at the at the point guard position, at the point guard position, give me, give me Chris Paul. Okay. At the shooting guard position, give me. Oh shoot! <laughs> at the shooting guard position, give me Devin Booker. Okay. At the three, give me. Oh, we at the three, give me LeBron. Hmm. At the four, oh my God. <laughs> at the four, give me, and this is this is because I want four out one in. Give me Tracy McGrady. And at the five, give me Shaq. Oh wow. So you 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 left out one key key player that i think that i i well i thought that you probably would have added no kobe no Kobe. yeah no not no no i was never i was never a big kobe fan okay um of course would never question dude's greatness for sure Um, but you know what i probably would have put him over devin booker i don't even know i don't know why why, why i wasn't even thinking of kobe yeah but i don't know I, I don't know. I, I I guess I have a personal bias towards. I, I need to put somebody from Mississippi in there, for sure, for sure. If you if you could have two players on the bench, what two would you add? Well, shoot, dang, I don't know how I feel about putting Kobe and Jordan on the bench. <laughs> Kobe and Jordan on the bench. Oh my God! All right, so oh, let's wow. <laughs> let me do, let me let me. I got I got to reorder the lineup. Um, McGrady off my roster. I'm moving LeBron to the four. Um, I'm moving. I'm moving. I'm keeping Chris Paul in there. Okay, I'm moving LeBron to the four, and I'm putting Devin Booker on the bench, and I'm gonna put Kobe and Jordan at the two and three. Okay. Yeah. Okay, I can, I can, I can, I can see that a little bit more. But you could, I, I could not let you make it if you were gonna put both Kobe and Jordan on the bench. 
I don't see at first I didn't want to be typical. I, I know yeah. everybody will probably put uh Jordan and Kobe as, as, as prolific scores in there. Um right. But from an all-around standpoint, I had to have I gotta have LeBron in my life. Gotta have oh, LeBron absolutely. in there. From a center perspective, I think Shaq is the most dominant center player uh ever. Yeah. Um Chris Paul, I really I really would put him like top three point guards of all time and just he's, of him especially pure point guards. Yeah, pure point guards. And then of him, Magic Johnson and like uh Isaiah Thomas, I just like him as a better shooter. I think he's just as efficient from an assist guy to game standpoint as a magic and a um a uh, Isaiah, but I think he's he's just a better shooter, mid-range and three-point than both of them. So, Absolutely. yeah, no, I think that would be my, my first five and my two on the bench would be Devin Booker and Tracy McGrady. I applaud you, man, because that's not an easy question with the way that the game has oh. developed. I mean, because there are players that could still be added to that. You, you know, we're talking about a Stephen Curry. Yeah. A, 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 a Damian Lillard. Like, you're talking about a Giannis. Like, I mean, even just think about the future of, of what's about to come into the NBA, like a Victor Wambanyama, like, Something bro. we've never seen before, man. Bro, I'm I and I'm so ready. Speaking of speaking of Victor, like I'm so ready to see his production in the NBA. I just hope he's not like a, a huge bust, and I don't think right. he will be. You're talking right. about a seven six agile guard, big. Like oh my god, like I'm I'm really anticipating him. You got into sports, um. You know, sports obviously became a pivotal part in your life. We've talked about the way uh, sports kind of filtered into you getting into that path of a certain level of discipline, persistence that you go throughout your day uh, daily as we speak now. Um, I know you recently lost your father. How much of your father played an impact not only into you diving into sports, but then also shaping you into the man that you are now? Oh, yeah. Well, my dad was an athlete, so he just kind of, he just got to put us there like when, when we were younger. Now, my older brother, I mean, he had a lot more options. He played baseball, basketball. Uh, he was in karate. He played, um, you know, he he played soccer. Like, he was in all of that. But me being the youngest, my mom and dad were a little older. So I only played basketball coming up. Like, that was all I did. Um, yeah. So um, now from a – from an instruction or from an actionary standpoint, like my dad, like his, his work ethic must like, I got my work ethic from him. Um, he was a Renaissance man in nature. Like, I mean, dude worked at Jackson state was a computer analyst. He was a musician. He taught piano. He was a real estate agent and broker. He was an insurance agent. Like he, he was a bit, he had his hands in a lot. And I think mm -hmm. like that personality trait, um, just kind of funneled down into me. So, and and he kind of showed me that. And even in doing all of those things, like, dude was still very present. He still came to my games. He still took me to practices. He still did all of these things. So, yeah, man, like, dude was a pretty dope man. And, and that's, that's kind of what, in his recent passing, that's like just kind of what's on my radar right now. Just not only ensuring that that legacy lives on, but also like ensuring that 
you know, all of those seeds he sold in to me, both directly and indirectly, that they they continue to spring up and grow. I want to ask a, a follow-up question because I'm at a space now in my life where I've begun to really dive into looking at the dynamics of what it means to be a black son and the importance of like having that father figure around. Oh, yeah. My dad was around, but he I was he was in the military, so he was gone a lot. And so we got a chance to reconnect in the latter part of my, I guess you could say adolescent years. And now as I'm I've, I've been back and kind of had some you know built a relationship with him, had talks with him. It's like you think that when you're growing up, you need your dad around every day, you know, for every single thing, which you do if, if that's possible. Yeah. But at the same time, when you get to the age where we are now, there are certain things that I think that I talk to my dad now about that if if I wasn't able to, I don't I don't know where I would be because it's just thing, it's something about having that experience with a black father between the relationship between a black father and son. It, it, it's, it's just needed. Like, so I want to ask you this. What do you think is the most important aspect of that relationship? Um, well, first I would say like just us judging the, the presence of a father in the home, like head and shoulders, like just from, from by virtue of statistics, you can see that households are more sustainable. Children are more successful, like in homes where there is a father there. Um, and you know, while many people have overcome the discrepancy of a fatherless home, uh, the, the statistics associated with having a father present in the home, like they often bear true. Um, um, I, I was sharing statistics in my dad's eulogy where uh, Barack Obama, um, he was saying uh, during his presidency that, you know, children that don't grow up with a father in the home, they're five times more likely to commit a crime or live in poverty. They're nine times more likely to drop out of school and they're 20 times more likely to end up in prison. So, you can't argue with the the value in having a male figure or father figure in in the home, um, and that's not saying that people who don't have that they're just doomed for failure because that's right. not the case. So many right. people have overcome that, like I said, that discrepancy. Um, but I would say the 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 most important. The most important thing that you can have from a father being in the home, for me, I would say it was transparency. Um, you know, just not being afraid or not being hesitant to share those sensitive spaces. Of course, when your children get and, and share a portion of those things, because, you know, in, in your adolescent years, some things are just they are better kept secrets until you get to an age where you're mature enough to be able to digest and internalize certain things. So, um, but for me, I would just say, man, just just kind of leaving it there, I would say transparency. That's one of the most important things that, that father-son relationship needs. Before I let you go, I want to ask you this. What are some things that you're doing now? Um, I know you're doing a lot of things, but you know, what are some things that might be coming up for you if you can share with the listeners? I kind of prematurely said in, in my introduction, I said I was the department chair um, of the history department at Tougaloo College. Oh, that's that awesome. Promotion, that promotion hadn't, <laughs> it doesn't go into effect until the new school year, but I'm already claim that. We're going to congratulate you now, though. 
It's on my resume. <laughs> yeah, so I mean that you know, still consulting, man, going, you know, to different colleges, traveling, doing that. I would say the but the biggest thing that I would say, man, I, I would love for supporters or people who want to support to be on the lookout for is I'm I'm releasing my first book this year. Um, and it's actually a 21 day devotional that's entitled Behind My Brand, Pray, Plan, Execute When Believers Boss Up. So um that'll be I haven't even put a date on it because literally how I was telling my my editor, that's nothing I want to rush. I don't want to put a date. I want us to be like all of our preparation. I want it to be copacetic. I want everything to be, I don't want anything to be rushed. So it's in like its second phase of editing right now. Mm-hmm. And it'll probably be done with the editing phase by the end of the summer. And, you know, I'll be looking to start promotions, start marketing rollouts, and I'll be looking somewhere next fall to release that book. So that's that's probably the biggest thing that I'm preparing for. And, you know, hopefully, man, I'm, I'm believing that I can sell a million copies of that book. So, Amen. so yeah, man, you know. You know all, all you have to do is claim it. Like I said, man, my, you know where my faith and my work at the end. Uh, right. I believe that is the essence of how I got my life, James 2.26. But the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. And I think, which is why I call the book Pray, Plan, Execute When Believers, When Believers Boss Up being the sub- subtitle, because I think just in church culture, we've kind of popularized faith, 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 like just name it and claim it and just believe right. for it. Well, no, what the Bible says, faith without works is dead. It so just as great as my faith is, I expect from myself my work ethic to be just that great. I just want to say this, man. Keep doing everything that you're doing, like myself. And I know a lot of other people are, are looking up to you. Um, I have a very similar mindset and wanted to do a bunch of things myself. Uh, having done some different things in my life already. But I, I, I definitely I wanted you to know. And I've told you before. But I really admire, like you said, the work ethic, the the passion and the work that you've been able to put into all of the things that you want to do and that you've done so far um, in your life. And I know it's a lot more um, to come from that because you, you, you know, you were made the right way. You know, your dad instilled when you when you told me everything that your dad did, I was literally thinking like, that's Jason. Like, that's literally <laughs> that is Jason right there at the court. That is him. So I really I know that he will be very proud of you and, and where you are now and even where you're going. And he's going to always be there. Uh, so I just wanted to make sure I told you that, man. Oh, look, man. Look, I appreciate it. Like I said, once again, thank you for having me on, man. Like you don't know, because I I think we got to give people their flowers while they're here, man. I've admired you from a distance from years. Like we've had mutual friends that um, that kind of connected us right. some directly, some indirectly. But dude, so and the other thing, man, your thirtieth birthday shoot, I'm definitely stealing that for next year. <laughs> <laughs> the concept, like <laughs> I saw it, I was like, oh, dude, I think I'm doing this for my thirty second next year. Hey, so uh, if you see it again, <laughs> I'm putting your opinion in the caption. <laughs> hey, I'm gonna just say, you know what? He did it better than I did. <laughs> He, he did it better than I did. But no, nah, Jason, like, seriously, thank you for coming on the show. Uh, and, like, good luck to everything that you have going on. We'll talk soon. All right, man. I appreciate it. Stay tuned for the next episode of the Red Diamond Report podcast. Until then, make sure to follow the podcast on Instagram at the Red Diamond Report and follow me on Twitter at Wilton Reports and on Instagram at Wilton Reports underscore.